I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. So glad to have you along for this ride. You know, I feel a little guilty about this podcast because in recent weeks, all we've been discussing is everything that's going wrong in travel. But my next guest is going to talk about a new convenience for travelers, because it's not all bad news. And, and frankly, just the fact that we get to travel again is extremely good news. So she is Beth Harpaz. You may remember that name because I had her many times on this show in the past when she was the editor, travel editor for the Associated Press. Now Beth is writing a lot for the New York Times or writing, you just wrote your first article for the New York Times, right, Beth? My first travel story. Very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And it's called Travelers Ask Cash. What's that? So (laughs) it's a cute headline. What does it mean? So I just took my first big trip since the pandemic. I went to London to visit some friends. It was such a great trip. Um, I didn't have a chance to get cash before I left. I figured I'd just go to an ATM over there and get some cash. But as the days went along, I was there for a full week. I never needed cash. I was just using my tap and go credit card. I used it on the tube. I used it on the buses. I used it uh, on the street to buy a cup of coffee at a kiosk. I used it, you know, for big purchases at Fortnum and Mason, where I bought lots of beautiful tea, gifts of wrapped tea to bring back to my friends in the States. Um, I used it out to dinner. Uh, You know, everywhere I went, I just tap and go, tap and go, tap and go. And I, as the days went by, I was like, okay, I guess I don't need cash. Um, And so I never ended up getting cash. I came home and uh, this was the new, the brave new world of of travel. Um, Pitched it to the New York Times editor and she said, I think a lot of Americans are going to be surprised by this because, you know, we haven't been, a lot of us haven't been out of the country. We don't realize that so many countries around the world now are cashless. Right. Well, one of the funny things was to me, and apologies, that's my cat. (laughs) That's not me meowing. That's the cat. Uh, One of the interesting things is you start the article with a couple from Traverse City, Michigan. They go to Europe. I think they go to London as well. They, They traveled all over the UK. They traveled all over the UK and they couldn't give away their cash, right. right? They had trouble. They had changed cash before they went. Yeah, they had saved up. They had been saving up money for their trip and they thought, okay, this is the money we've saved up. Let's turn it into pounds before we go. And then that'll be our budget. And then they get there and they, like you said, they can't give it away. I mean, they went to the Lake District. They went to small towns and London. So it wasn't just big cities. Um, they thought the final night they go to a fancy restaurant, they're going to, you know, use the cash. The restaurant will not take their cash. Finally, they begged their hotel, please, please, we don't want to go home with all this British money. Can you please let us pay our hotel bill down with cash? And the hotel took it. Um, but wow. I've heard this from so many travelers. Um, you know, not every single country in the world. Argentina's in an economic crisis. Cash is king there. Um, you know, some parts of France, some parts of Italy uh, still are going to give you a dirty look or maybe not even take your credit card. Um, but certainly the rest of the world is well ahead of us. I mean, you know, my bagel store doesn't want me to pay in with a credit card on on the corner in Brooklyn. Huh. 
But, um, you know, all yeah, the, our all bagel the bakeries stores in won't London. allow that in Manhattan either. They want cash still. What is it about bagels? I wonder. <laughs> well, you know, it's a small business. And one of the things I learned is that credit card companies are allowed to charge merchants in the United States a large fee. So they get yeah. money taken out of every payment that you make. In Europe, and I don't know about other countries, but certainly contactless payments are a much bigger deal in Asia and places like that. Um, the amount of money that merchants pay credit card companies is tiny. It's like a, a huh. fraction of a percent. So they don't lose as much money by accepting your credit card. And of course, it's much easier. They don't have to give you change. They don't have to deal with cash. One of the things that drove this um, was the pandemic because people didn't sure. want to handle money. In the beginning, we thought, well, maybe money is carrying germs. Um, and then there was like a cash shortage because people were hunkering down and, and you know, they didn't, people didn't have change. Um, so right. that helped drive it. And also the idea of can of contactless pickups. So people will order things online, you know, using their card and, and then they just go and they pick up a bag without ever talking to anybody. So all these things combined have pushed the use of contactless cards. Um, I do want to say one thing to just, you know, Wait, warn. Before, we yeah, sure. go, before we go into something else, uh, you know, you say contactless cards. I remember not too far before the pandemic, there was all kinds of chatter about how American credit cards wouldn't necessarily be accepted overseas because they didn't run on a chip and pin system. But that's way in the past, right? That's not even a consideration now, is it? Right. So we we're we're like you know two point or three beyond that, and that was actually what I wanted to to just warn people and and everybody before you go abroad, you need to take a look at your credit card and your debit card and see if it has the little tap symbol. It looks like a Wi-Fi symbol. It's four curved lines, but it's a Wi-Fi symbol kind of on its side. If your credit card or debit card does not have that symbol, you should try to get a replacement card before you go. Because a lot of places overseas now, they don't even have the little machine where you insert the card, the chip and pin machine. They only have the tap. Um, mm. So if if you don't have that tap and go card, you could be stuck. Um, you know, I, I I interviewed travelers who'd been all over the world in the last few months, and there were several who said that they were they were stuck in one place or another because they only had a, a credit card. You know, with the old chip and pin, they didn't have the contactless and the merchant or the machine. If it was like a, uh, you know, a parking machine or something like that, or a vending machine, uh, they were they were stuck without that tap now and go. Is there another workaround around that? Maybe you don't use your card. Maybe you use your phone instead. I mean, if you have Apple Wallet or Google Wallet, right? Um, exactly. It's it's a great idea also to to you know download those apps, Google Pay or Apple Pay or something like that, and and learn how to use it. If you haven't used it, it's not that complicated. Set it up. It's always good to have a backup, even if you do have a contactless credit card. You know, every now and then your card may be declined if you're overseas for some random reason, or you know the you know, there's all kinds of reasons that it's nice to have a backup. You can't find it in your bag or, you know, you left it in the hotel. God forbid you, it was stolen or, or you had to cancel it for some reason, damaged. It's always good to have a backup and, and Google pay, Apple pay is definitely uh, a, a great way to, to back up your, your, your options. Now you didn't go into this in the article, but I, I remember in the past, often it was very hard to use American express places. 
Um, do you happen to know, is there still the animus against American Express cards? Yeah, I actually contacted, they- I contacted American Express and asked them about that. Um, you know, they said that they're increasingly accepted overseas. What I did hear from uh, a number of individual travelers was that it's, and that's actually the same thing here. My husband has an Amex card and I would say half the time we go to a restaurant and they won't take it. Um, right. You know, it's it's not the favored card of merchants overseas. So uh, if if all you have is an Amex card, you may want to make sure you're bringing your bank debit card or, or something else along. Now, you do say that for certain types of transactions, like those that are tied to cars, you may have to go with cash. Yeah, it was kind of funny, actually. Um, one of the things that, uh, that 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 messed up a lot of people was using a restroom. I mean, I guess here nobody's allowed to charge ac- for access to a restroom, right? Hmm. But, um, right. you know, like someone who traveled all over Eastern Europe without changing cash needed to use the bathroom in, in a train station in Bratislava, and she had to go to an ATM, get cash, and then go change it so that she had a euro for the the bathroom. Um, oh and another goodness. another issue was people who rent cars um, parking. Sometimes a parking meter or machine would only take cash, and sometimes tolls. Uh, you know, little toll machines that you would go through on a highway will only take cash. Although, if you have a transponder in a rental car, that shouldn't be a problem either. Interesting. Interesting. And of course, you. So, I did quote you in my article, and you wrote. You did. Out so, so, tips, and yeah, we right? haven't really talked about tipping because I know, as I waitered all throughout college, and you wanted to get that cash in your hand, uh, you did not want the owner to get it because who knew if they would give you all the money? I mean, that's always a problem for those in service. Uh, sometimes you had to give a percentage to the busboys into the kitchen staff. And so I know a lot of people in the service industry used to prefer getting their their tips in cash. Is is that still the case? So, you know, I was in England and a lot of countries have a service charge on the bill. It's not like here where, you know, the staff isn't going to get anything. And also sure. in a lot of countries, uh, people who work in restaurants are are paid more in line with other workers, unlike here where they're often paid less than minimum wage. Um, but uh, it's interesting. I went out to dinner with a lot of friends who live over there. And there was one of my friends who she always leaves cash on top of the service charge. My other friends did not, but she always does. Um, and I also heard from a lot of travelers who didn't get cash and they wished that they had had some in their wallet for certain moments, like if they took a tour and the guide was exceptional and they just right. wanted to be able to like hand that person, you know, five euros or 10 euros at the end of the tour. Um, somebody else did want to leave cash in their hotel room for the maid. Interesting. She went down to the front desk in the hotel. She wanted to uh, change a large uh, bill and they said, oh, sorry, we don't have any cash. So, you know, that if, if you're planning on tipping or you're doing the kind of thing that's a service where you might want to be tipping somebody, then uh, in cash, you know, then you may you may indeed want to make sure that you get some uh, some some bills for yeah, that. Yeah. Well, this is totally off the topic, but 
how was it to be back uh, in a foreign country? Oh how did that feel? Oh my gosh, Pauline, there's just <laughs> nothing like it. There's yeah. nothing like it. You know, just, I mean, it's London. It's not exotic or anything, but it was just so, it was just so wonderful. I was just so happy just to be there and, and out of my element. It just made me feel alive. And I mean, yeah. I think that's why we love travel, right? It just, it's just so exciting to be in the real world. I went to theater. I went to the Shakespeare Globe uh, theater and, and saw a production. It was amazing. You know, I, I did the crazy tourist thing. I went up in the London eye I made my friends who live there go up with me, even though it's so dorky. <laughs> oh my God. It was so beautiful. You know, British museum, you know, the Thames river, uh, you know, I went and had curry, Indian food. I, I went wow. and, and, you know, had fish and chips in a pub. I, I mean, it's the highlight of, you know, the last many months of hunkering down in my work from home apartment in Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, on that happy note, thank you so yes. much, Beth, for speaking with me and, and so glad that you got to go out and have an adventure. I, you know, I mean, there's so much, as I start said at the very start, there's so much bad news about travel right now because it's been hard to come out of this damn pandemic. You know, there's been a lot of understaffing and chaos and problems, but I think it's worth it. Absolutely. It's still worth it. I couldn't agree more. Thanks so much, Pauline. Take care. Thank you. Our next guest is John Lindley. He is the president and CEO of the Michigan Association of RVs and Campgrounds. And I wanted to have him on the show too today because we're focusing on the good news today. Uh, so, John, so nice to speak with you once again. We met uh, a couple of months ago at the Michigan Governor's Conference on Travel and Tourism. Lovely to have you on. Thank you so much. So when we spoke the last time, you pretty much blew my mind uh, telling me about a lot of the latest developments that are either coming or are already here in the world of RVing. The biggest one has to do with going off the grid. Why do the new types of RVs allow you to do that more easily? More and more campers are looking for opportunities to camp in places where they can't hear or see their neighbors, as an example. Off-grid camping, boondocking, it's often called. Um, camping in places that aren't RV parks or, or campgrounds um, specific or in RV parks and campgrounds that are specifically designed for that purpose on larger hmm. larger pieces of ground. And the types of RVs they're they're driving allow them to do this? How, how have RVs changed? That's right. You know, RVs have, have evolved for that, you know, that market demand, um, allowing consumers to to take their, their units, their towables, their travel trailers, or their motorhomes to some of these places that, you know, require them to be off of pavement, for example. So um, RV manufacturers are, are, are manufacturing units now that have more rugged tires and suspensions and more capable axles so that you can tow that RV, much like, you know, where you could take a pickup truck that you're towing it with, um, without worrying about doing damage to the vehicle. 
Hmm. But it also, I, I always thought the reason you would go to an RV park had less to do with the surface you were on and more to do with the facilities that you could hook up to because, you know, you might need power, you might need water, and those things are, are available at each parking spot, right? Absolutely. And those conveniences aren't going away. Many, many consumers still utilize RV parks and campgrounds all over the country for exactly the conveniences that you were talking about. The ability to hook up to electricity and water and even sewer right there from your campsite. But in, in this case, what RV manufacturers are doing is, is producing units now that have um, more battery power and solar benefits, um, larger propane capabilities, larger fresh water tanks, better insulation, so that individuals can take those units uh, off-grid, as we've said, and can be away from electricity and water for a longer period of time. When you say solar benefits, is the benefit that you can run the RV on solar power? Uh, when and, 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 and I guess there's two parts to that question. I mean, there's two ways you run the RV. You either get from point A to point B, or you're in the RV, you have TV, you have a place to cook, you have... Uh, outlets you can plug your stuff into. Um, so, how much can solar energy do? Yeah, we're we're not we're not yet talking about powering a, a motorhome down the highway um, hmm. with with solar solar power. But what we're talking about is the utilization of solar power through the panels to charge batteries, which allow you to utilize your recreational vehicles. So, think uh, microwave lighting. Uh, refrigerator, right. all of those types of things running on, on solar power, your water pump, all of those types yeah. of things are, are battery powered and those batteries are charged by the solar panels. That's pretty amazing. How, how far are we from electric RVs? Is that the next iteration? Because obviously electric cars are growing in po popularity, especially right now. Uh, it, it absolutely is the next iteration. In fact, there are prototype all electric motor vans right now. We, we, we call them a, a class B or a B style van motorhome. There are prototype all electric B vans that are out right now. And we expect more mainstream in the next two years, probably dedicated product lines at your RV dealerships that you drive by all day. You'll see dedicated product lines uh, for all electric motorhomes. Isn't that, that's, that, that, that's, that, that'll be great. That'll be amazing. Are the RV parks prepping for that? Are they creating, uh, you know, electric fueling stations? Yes. They, as a matter of fact, they are both the public and the private campgrounds throughout the country. Um, I can speak more detail to Michigan, but you're seeing more and more, even today, prior to there being really mainstream um, electric RVs, more and more campers are coming with electric vehicles with them. So if you see a, a class A large motorhome going down the highway, you'll often see a vehicle in tow that somebody will be bringing so that when they need to run to the store from their campsite, et cetera, they use the vehicle that they've towed with them. More and more, wow. more, and more consumers are, are requiring, have electric vehicles. And so campgrounds need to have those capabilities for consumers to charge their electric vehicles while they're there. Right. And we, we started out this discussion talking about people going away from campgrounds, but 
there are reasons why you may want to be at a campground because the campgrounds themselves are innovating right now to become more fully resort-like, right? That's exactly right. It's actually, there's a bit of irony in that two of the larger trends that we see in the industry are, are, are somewhat competing forces that um, large groups of consumers are, yeah. are wanting to go more more off-grid and, and the market is re responding to that. But at the same time, our campgrounds are seeing that consumers are requiring more out of them. For example, Wi-Fi. And, and that, that's an obvious one. Wi-Fi has become um, essentially a, a must-have at most campgrounds mm. um, throughout the country as more and more people have sought to um, work a portion of their time while they're camping. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Wi-Fi has gotten better. What other what other facilities have either been judged or co are coming in for the first time? Well, uh, you're seeing campgrounds are really looking at um, what we call three generation activities. So it's very common to see camp family groups in campgrounds where you might have grandparents and then mom and dad and then a bunch of grandkids. Right. And so they're, they're looking at activities and facilities um, to to tailor to to three generation um, campers with without any question, whether that's, um, you know, if you're not near a lake, you know, you'll often see camp campgrounds with swimming pools, for example, and mm. other activities. Live music is another perfect example. But really the power, the electric, the ability to charge electric vehicles, um, full hookups, which would be, include both water and sewer as well. And then again, um, Wi-Fi is a, is a huge example. One of the bigger trends, if I may, that we've seen, which is really um, without question caused um, campgrounds and, and RVers to react is um, the, the arrival and departure days at campgrounds. There's been a switch. Thurs huh. Thursday, as an example, has become the most popular arrival day at campgrounds when for decades it was Friday. Huh. Because you have more people working remotely, I what guess, right? Found, or is it something yeah. else? Nope, that's exactly right. What you found is that people have the ability now to extend their weekend by a day or two, one day on either direction, for example, and work that one day from a remote location, right? And so rather than trying to leave town on a Friday and, and get up for the weekend campers, they can do that on Thursday. And then huh. they can work a portion of their Friday and then still have their entire weekend with their family. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this discussion and saying, are you folks crazy talking about RVs in the middle of a fuel crisis in this country? I mean, is, is RVing a doable type of vacation right now? Uh, with with fuel costs on the rise as they are, w what do you tell tell people who are, are nervous about this type of vacation right now? It it unquestionably remains a doable um, level of vacation, and and what we found over years and years and years, you know, yes, fuel prices are are extraordinarily high right now. There's no question about it. But this is not the first time that we've seen high fuel prices either. And what we see, studies have shown that campers stay closer to home during these mm. types of times. They might not travel um, across country. They might travel across state. Um, they'll make less stops and stay in the same spot potentially for, for more of you know longer period of time in one stop rather than camping their way through through seven different stops they'll just camp their way through three 
and stay a little bit closer to home. So adjustments are unquestionably made to RV and campers plans during times yeah. like this. But what we don't see are too many people cancel those plans. Huh. Okay. So people are still getting out there. They're still vacationing. Actually, right before we spoke, I got an email with a whole bunch of tips uh, for saving money on gas if you're RVing. For example, they recommend not carrying too much water, draining your tanks so your RV is, isn't as heavy if you're going to a campground where you can then fill up, and maybe doing your shopping uh, closer to where you're going to be staying. It, it A lot of the tips seem to be about um, lowering the weight of your vehicle so you use less gas. And they said something very interesting. They said on one tank of gas, if you lower your speed from 70 to 60, you can get 90 miles more on that tank of gas, which seemed like an exaggeration to me, <laughs> but was interesting. I can tell you firsthand that that's not an exaggeration. When I when wow. I when I tow a camper down the road, the difference between towing that camper at a higher level of speed and a higher RPM in my truck versus a lower one—if you're not in a hurry—you can save a tremendous amount of, of fuel economy by by just you know getting over into the right lane and. And and set you know um, setting that speed at a, at a little bit lower level and and the tips that you just mentioned were exactly right about weight as well. Most modern campgrounds will have fresh water, potable water supplies that you can fill up your holding tanks upon arrival, and the, and the need to to carry all of that water weight down the highway is is just simply not necessary. Um, this, the other thing you mentioned about shopping local, we encourage all of our, our members and consumers to, to do that, if not for the reason of, of lightening their load, but to support the local economies at their destinations. Sure. And, and also to have more fun. It's always interesting to go into a new a new supermarket, see what the local goods are. I mean, if you're going to Michigan, you're going to get a lot of cherries and cherry flavored things. And, and that's one of the delights of, of going into that state. Um, you said earlier, people are not canceling. Does that mean it will be hard at this point in the season finding reservations at campgrounds? Do you need to get advanced reservations or can you simply drive up and stay most places? No, we, we absolutely recommend having camp, having reservations at a campground before you, before you head out. Um, whether you're heading out an hour from home or several hours from home, getting someplace and hoping that they will have vacancy is, is not a gamble that I would suggest anybody take at this point in time. But the right. answer to the other question about high demand and, and will you be able to get one of those reservations, um, I believe is is an absolutely resounding yes. And and the word I like to use, Pauline, is flexibility. If you log online right now and and with the hopes of I want to get this campsite at this campground for these days and I want to arrive and depart at, at these times, then you may find that somebody else had the same intentions prior to you and that you won't be able to mm. fulfill that completely. But if you head out online and make a reservation and you know you want to go camping and you want to know you know that you want to go to a particular region of the state for a particular period of time. We have more than 1,300 licensed campgrounds in the state of Michigan. And I have wow. the utmost confidence that you'll be able to find a beautiful site that will meet you and your family's needs. Well, and the nice thing about Michigan is you're never more than six miles from a body of water. 
Uh, so there's always all kinds of recreation uh, options in the state, I've found. Uh, is there anything else that makes Michigan campgrounds different from the campgrounds in the rest of the country? Well, I think you touched on it, which is the diversity of, of what we have to offer from the from the southern part of the state all the way to the western upper peninsula. Um, you know, the geographic diversity, whether you want a lakefront or a riverfront campground, or if you want something that's in the, um, the midst of the, the beautiful um, pine tree forest that we have in, in northern Michigan, there's something for everybody here in the state of Michigan. Yes, absolutely. Are there campgrounds in Detroit if people want to go and, and you know, have a real fun time at the clubs uh, of Detroit, at the clubs and fabulous restaurants there? Oh, absolutely there are. There are campgrounds affiliated with some of our fine gaming and, you know, casino establishments in, in Michigan that are, are very close to those. Or um, the Michigan International Speedway, for example, there's multiple campgrounds right across the way from the Speedway. So when those Oof, NASCAR... That must and, get pretty loud, I would think. I imagine but during I- the races, it absolutely does. But at the same time, the campers that are there, by and large, are there to see the races. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. So they wouldn't be bummed out by it. I think I would be. Uh, is there anything I haven't asked you uh, that that people who might not know about this type of activity should know this summer if they're thinking of, of RVing? I, I don't think so. I just think it's, to, you know, to understand that there's someplace for everybody out there and that it's a wonderful lifestyle. Over the course of the, the last couple of, of years, unquestionably more people have either discovered the outdoors for the first time or rediscovered the great outdoors. And we've seen drastically increased numbers of RV purchases and, and campground demand throughout the country. And it's a wonderful thing that people are out there enjoying our pure Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. And enjoying the nature all across the United States. I mean, that's a silver lining to my mind uh, of this awful, awful pandemic. Because of social distancing, we all rediscovered nature and the the, the joys of just sitting outside on a sunny day with a breeze blowing and 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 the simpler parts of life uh, suddenly came to the fore. I think. Well, John, it's been such a delight speaking with you. Uh, I'm going to finish the podcast uh, today with this conversation. I thank you so much for, for being here, John. I thank our listeners for listening. And may I say, oh, one more thing. I am going to be in Europe next week. So I'm taking a week off from the podcast, but I'll come back and tell you all about it when I'm, uh, when I'm, uh, here after July 4th. So happy 4th of July to all. And to all those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. Chance.